the 23rd of February, 1429, a frail peasant girl stood before the uncrowned King of France and swore she would lead him to his coronation in Rhin to be anointed with the holy oil of Clovis. This girl was the maid, La Pucelle de Orléans. It's not that kind of podcast, Dad. Don't get over dramatic. Okay, welcome to our history podcast. The history podcast I do with my dad. And today we're doing a Joan of Arc special. Okay, Otto, so if I'm not allowed to do this really overly dramatic version of the podcast, can you tell us what the format is going to be? And I suppose we're going to have to put in the traditional Martin Bieber's jingle rather than that orchestral piece I found that probably sounded kind of over the top. Today we are going to do a bit of just sitting here talking about the 100 year war and um, then later we are going to have us in Orléans um, talking in Orléans about Joe Vogg. Right, because we recorded a few bits and bobs. In Orléans, when we were on holiday. Yeah. Um, Round the place where Joan of Arc paraded and it was cool. Yeah, and she had her siege. Yeah, just recording live in the, well, not live, in the streets of Orléans. Cool. Right, so, quick test here. How long did the Hundred Years War last? The Hundred Year War was not one war. Oh. It was many different wars, but they kind of just shoved them together. Oh, very interesting. As in, they weren't, like, really, really um, close wars. Yeah. They were quite different. It it is like getting World War I and World War II Mm -hmm. and saying, oh, it was one big war. Oh, okay. Yes. So it was a series of wars between the English and the French. Yes. Yeah. So, and um, what are the sort of big famous battles that you know of? Um, there was the Siege of Orléans. Yep. Um, Any others? Paris. The Siege of Paris. The Siege yeah. of Paris. Um, You're definitely thinking of the uh, Joan of Arc related um, yes, yes. battles. Um, Agincourt. Agincourt, yeah. You know, the the ones we remember as uh, English um, yes, people. Yes, like Paris. Well, no, we remember particularly Agincourt, yeah. Cressy and Poitiers. Yes. And they were the three well, battles. We, we, we won Paris, right? Well, yes, I always think it's a bit weird to say we. Um, True, yeah. Um, they. They. Because <laughs> it's we as in us, like the odd... 400 years ago. Yes, that's why it's not really us, is it? No. Uh, no, it's, uh, yeah, we're as far apart from a, an English person 600 years apart as we are from a French person today. No, we're closer to a French person today. Exactly. Yeah, so we, we remember the big sort of uh, victories of the English, um, and they were particularly, and uh, well, the, Edward III, um, uh, the Black Prince, and Henry V. So the Battle of Agincourt was the last great victory uh, of the British. English, you fool. The Scottish were fighting with the French. And this was really the situation when Joan of Arc um, appeared on the scene in the 1428, 1429, as we'll see. Um, 
the English had won a great victory in 1415, which was when the, uh, the Battle of Agincourt was. They had taken a lot of the important French nobility prisoner. The French king was completely mad. Do you know about him? Yes. Hmm. The Dauphin's father. Yes. And do you know any of the funny things he thought of when he, because he was mad? No. No? He thought he was made of glass. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, having a mad king was a bit of a problem. Yes. Um, and Generally. I'll, yeah. In the any wo- mad ruler doesn't make the country the most stable. No. Um, and in a, a lot of ways, actually, the Hundred Years' War was in part it was a civil war between the Burgundians and the Armagnacs. So the Burgundians was a the, the Burgundy was a, a important part of sort of France and actually bits of the Holy Roman Empire and they also had place areas of what is now uh, Belgium mm. um, and they were the, the Duke of Burgundy was a very important figure in those times yes and he was fighting against the uh, Charles the Dauphin's family particularly and Charles the Dauphin um, had killed his father or been part of an assassination of his father. So the Duke of Burgundy didn't like um, the Armagnacs, who was the Charles the Dauphin's faction. And so they controlled most of the south-east of France, uh, the south of the Loire. So what did you notice about the Loire when we were in France? Um, What is the Loire? It's a river. Thank you. Yep. Yes, it's a river. Um, and it's one of the great rivers of France, yes. um, and it was actually That's I think in the Seine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The what's the one? Right, no. But it really sort of divides France in half, and it was a big, you know. So the no- north of the Loire was controlled by uh, the English, um, and south of the Loire was controlled by the French. But it's obviously a bit difficult to say the English and the French. So I mean, one of the problems in the Hundred Years' War was that the English kings, so Edward III, Henry V, etc., um, felt that they should be kings of France because they had their family had been related to the kings of France. And then the king of France, a lot of his children died, so there wasn't a really legitimate king of France. Mm. So the English kings were like, well, <laughs> you know, I've as, got as much right to being king of France as the next guy. Um and I'm going to go and make myself king of France, which is what Henry V, who's the great hero of Agincourt, did. But, unfortunately, he died very young. Mm. Just after, well, not very young, but fairly young, a few years after the Battle of Agincourt. So the situation when Joan of Arc turned up was that there was a fairly mad king of France and his son, Charles the Dauphin, who was uh, next in line, yeah. but they had fallen out. Um, mm. And so his father who was called, and we should know this, shouldn't we? So, Charles the Dauphin, uh, who would end up being uh, Charles the Seventh of France. His dad was called... Charles. Exactly, so he'd have been... Charles the Sixth. Yes. Also One, known... Two, three, four, five, six, six. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Oh, uh, cow. Yeah. And so he was known as the Beloved but also as Charles the Mad, because he was mad, as we discussed. So it was all a bit of a sort of unstable situation. Charles VI had been convinced to pass the throne not to his son, Charles, 
but to Henry V and his descendants. So that's why they thought they had a, a right to um, the throne of France. And in fact, Henry V's son, Henry VI, who was very young when he came to the throne, problem was he turned out to be mad himself. Aww. So Joan of Arc, this young girl, was apparently visited by saints or angels. Or God. Or God. Um, who convinced her that she should go and visit the um, Dauphin and lead his troops into battle and they would win great victories and she would help him be crowned King of France. So that's kind of the where, where we picked up the story. So she... She just turned up in uh, the court. And as the story goes, um, Charles the Dauphin um, made someone um, dress up as him and pretend to be the king. So, therefore, if um, she was an assassin, she would kill the wrong person. And if she was truly sent from God then she would find the actual Dauphin. Yeah. And she did. Yes. Yes. It might be a legend, it might be true, but that was one of the... Cause obviously, it might be a set-up. Yeah. But it was obviously quite mad for a, um, a young French girl to suddenly say, hey, <laughs> or a young girl, to suddenly... You know, she was a teenager. Mm. So it was quite strange for... Yeah, a, so she'd go, hey, I'm a saint... Yeah, let me lead your your armies. And he did let her lead his his armies. And to test out whether she really was sent by God, he sent her to see if she could relieve the siege of Orléans, an important city that had been besieged by the English for many months at that stage. And now let's visit Otto and Luke in Orléans. So here we are, uh, podcasting live from Orléans. It's not actually live though, Dad. Well, yes it is, we're in Orléans and it's live. Yeah, but it's a podcast, you can't do live podcasts. We're in Orléans, but then we post it in England. Uh, Okay, I see what you mean. So we are not podcasting live from Orléans and we are approximately, how many years too late? 600. When when was... um, Joan of Arc around Otto Baxter. Fourteen twenty-eight. Yes, or fourteen twenty-nine, more accurately, I think, wasn't it? Well, yeah, but she was alive in fourteen twenty-eight. Ah, uh, good point. Yeah. Um, when was she? When was she born? <laughs> um, I think she must have been born. Well, she was, I think, about. 17 in 1429, so she must have been born in 1412 or so. Let's have a look. A middle-aged man now opens a booklet (laughs) (laughs) of Joan of Arc-related information. Uh, I can't find it. And then he shouts... Oh, I can't find it. Jeanne d'Arc, née en 1412. So, no, so, Joan of Arc, born in 1412 in Dom Remy. I was right. Well done. 
Okay, let's go and see if we can find some more Joan of Arc stuff to comment on around and about Orléans. Okay. So here we are sitting in the grounds of the Cathedral of Orléans and we're going to talk a little bit about the what actually happened during the siege of Orléans. Ox, what can you tell us about this? Well, so basically all of the citizens were um, of Orléans were in Orléans um, but the English had were sieging Orléans. Is that the right word? Besieging. Besieging. Yeah. Same, same thing. Um, and then so they, it wasn't the perfect siege. People could get out, but not very easily, because the English had put down little kind of fort things around the main entrances. Um, so what Joan of Arc did was she first sent some men into Orléans with food and provisions. She was with them as well? Yeah. Was she? Yeah. Okay, I need that. Joan had just entered uh, Orléans with food and was greeted as a great heroine by the people of Orléans who hadn't eaten a proper meal for a while. And uh, the troops inside Orléans were led by somebody called the Bastard of Orléans. So I don't know if we can, we're going to lose our rating, our clean language rating, but that is actually his official proper title, and he was called the Bastard of Orléans. So, Otto, take it from here. Okay, so, basically, they were in Orléans, they had a camp in Orléans, so then they started going around and attacking all the forts. Um, Dad? Yes, and so what was um, uh, Joan of Arc's favoured tactics during a battle? Um, It was, wasn't it pretty much just attack the thing that's supposed to be attacked and hope that um, the backup troops for the enemy don't come. Yeah. Yeah, she was very much of the uh, let's not make too many plans and just charge and uh, do what you can um, and fight from the front. She didn't do much actual fighting herself. She was, she tended to just sort of rally the troops and carry on her, carrying her massive banner that she carried everywhere and going, come on, attack, attack, attack. Um, Okay, and so the uh, she gradually sort of wore down all of these little um, fortresses that the the English had built all around um, uh, Orléans, um, and and eventually she got to the big one, which was called the uh, Tourelle, um, and they retook that on the seventh of May, fourteen twenty nine. So, and Luke moved to the banks of the Loire, just by where this battle for La Tourelle actually took place. So, here we are, Otto, sitting actually on the banks of the Loire. Um, and how many bridges can you see? Um, three four visible from where we're sitting but obviously in 1429 there would have been only one and the, this is the one that we can see here 
which is probably not the exact same bridge that existed at the time. Um, but that was the, would have been the only bridge over the Loire. We will put some images of that bridge on the website. Yeah. Just if you're like, oh, what's he talking about? I can't see that. As Otto says, we can put up some photos taken by the um, official uh, podcast, Our History podcast photographer, a.k.a. Mum, <laughs> um, who has been taking some wonderful photos for us as we walked around town. Yeah, so um, as we, I think, picking up from some of the things we were talking about before, the main really fierce battle was between, uh, was um, at the fortress called La Tourelle, and uh, so that was at the uh, on the south side of the bridge, um, and the bridge itself had been pretty much destroyed. So when Joan was crossing and recrossing the Loire with her troops, she was doing it by small boats. But as we can see, can you describe the Loire for us, Otto? What sort of river is it? A big one. <laughs> <laughs> Or otherwise known in French as a big river. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but is it just a big river? Is it? Uh, would you be able to swim across it? No. It's a fast river. Yeah, it's not. It's quite... It's quite a slow river with lots of little islands and... Well... Sand dunes and stuff. But it's illegal to swim, no? Yeah, but... It is illegal and rather dangerous to swim in it, but it, it's not just one sort of... It doesn't. It's not like a big, wide, all-water river. It seems to have... And all the way, because we've driven all the way from quite a long... Well, we've driven all the way along the, the Loire, from Nantes, which is almost in, on the Atlantic, to um, the Orléans, which is almost in the middle of France. And most of the way along, the Loire seems to have all these sand dunes and little sandbanks in the middle of the river so it would have been relatively easy to cross you don't you know you don't need a big ship do you, you can have little small mm. rowing boats no. yeah yeah um so the we're going back to the the attack on la tourelle um which was the the really big nasty battle um and Joan had this habit, she'd started sort of writing sort of letters to the um, English forces, um, which she liked to do regularly. There's a, oh, that's a turn that's making that noise, do you remember? No. Yeah. Um, and she had a, a, a habit of writing these letters, and one of the last letters that she wrote to the English was to the, the, the forces um, that were besieging Orléans. Um, and she wrote this... I, you men of England, who have no right in this kingdom of France, the king of heaven orders and commands you through me, Joan the Maid, to abandon your strongholds and go back to your own country. If not, I will make a war cry that will be remembered forever. I am writing this to you for the third and last time. I will write no more. And then they tied the letter to an arrow and shot it over the, the uh, walls of the English camp and it dropped to the ground and the shouts came up from the distance. News from the Armagnac Hall. That's not very nice. No. Yeah. But anyway, so that's when... Aren't they... we trying to keep the podcast a bit clean? 
Yes, I know. But I think it's okay if we're, we're quoting from, you know, the history. It's okay to use the actual words that they used at the time. Um, but anyway, so they attacked La Tourelle at the end of the bridge. And um, that was when uh, Joan received her first proper injury. And she was shot in the, by, by an arrow um, between her neck and her shoulder. Um, but rather than just giving up, and uh, which is what everyone was trying to convince her to do, she was like, no, fight on, and they fought on. When, so the English probably thought, aha, we've got her, that's it. When she got up again and kept on fighting, that's when they started to lose heart. And also because they could see carpenters coming across the ruined bridge from Orléans itself to come and mend the bridge, and so more troops could come across straight from Orléans. Um, and that's when the, the English lost uh, their nerve and began to run. And uh, one of the people, so you, you pointed out that the, the English had been quite rude, um, and one of them, Sir William Gladsdale, who had been one of the rudest, um, slipped and fell into the river um, in full armour and was never seen again. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so the bridge that we're looking at was mended, um, and so... Uh, Joan and the bastard and everyone was able to re-enter across the bridge back into Orléans and that was when they really felt that the battle was won on the 8th of May 1429 let's leave it there um I don't think that she literally just got back up again didn't she? well no she would have had to they would have had to run her back to Orléans help her get the arrow out of her collarbone mm. and before she could return to the battlefield well she's a pretty tough nut oh Joan well no I don't think oh got an arrow in her shoulder fell down and then just got back up on while she was on the ground she, she probably had a bit of treatment before running it was pretty heroic yeah yeah running back onto the battlefield yeah after pulling a arrow out of your like neck neck yeah yeah but I don't think she um just stood up and kept going yeah no, but they, no, they, with they, the arrow still in her shoulder yeah no they probably had to push it right through her to get it out ooh, ooh yeah. N- nice yeah Oh, yeah, so it wasn't quite the end of the battle. Sorry, I've just picked up a book, <laughs> and uh, which I'll be referencing, but it's absolutely fantastic. It's called Joan of Arc by Helen Castor. Absolutely wonderful, where most of my information is Joan of Arc, a history. It's Joan of Arc, a history, Helen Castor. Correct, Joan of Arc, a history, Helen Castor. Thank you, Otto. Um, it's always good to have you by my side, correcting me as the uh, official podcast pedant. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so but, but basically the, uh, the, the English did give up. So there were still quite a few Bastilles around the place. Um, but then they... Um, just let his cyclist past. Um, then, yeah, so she went to attack the Bastilles and the English just uh, ran away. Run away! Run to the hills! And they went actually ran to some of the to the, the towns that we saw uh, further west along the Loire, 
Beaugency and Milne um, and suffered further defeats there at the hands of Joan of Arc. At this stage, Otto and Luke and family returned home back to the Britain to continue their podcast adventures back in their studio. And they're going to pick up to continue the story of Joan from what happened after the great victory of Orléans. After Orléans, um, she took the, uh, she led the troops to Rennes, and Rennes is an ancient uh, city in France where it was traditional for the French kings to be crowned. So Charles was taken there and crowned king of France in the proper way. So he was really the king of France, not, and well, that was another thing. We don't need to go into too much detail. Mm -hmm. People can find out about it themselves. Yes. But so in a way, she had then accomplished her mission. She had, her mission was apparently to save Orléans and to get the king crowned. And so she'd done that. But then she kept fighting and took lots of different things. And it was only a, a period of two years or so in total. Um, I think a year, wasn't it? Between? Um, her becoming um, the leader of the army and her being burnt at the stake. Uh, I think it was a little bit more. Okay. But, I mean, a lot of the... the I think it was under two years. Yes, the trial was... was So her trial started on the 21st of February, 1431. Um, so that was two years, a little less than two years after she started her campaigning. But then it was only a little bit, you know, the trial itself took about a year or something before she actually got burned. Mm. So, let's hear a little bit about the trial. And, in fact, that was one of the problems that when she got caught by the English, mm. was that she dressed up in uh, men's clothes because she was leading army, she wore armour and that kind of stuff. Um, and that, for that, for it seemed to be like that was one of the main problems. Yeah. And what she was doing, they let you off for doing heresy mm-hmm. um, by, like, wearing men's clothes, if you're a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as, uh, as long, but if you stop doing that, but then go back on it and start doing it again, that's when you get burnt. Yes. Mistake. Yeah. So, what she did was she wore men's clothes, mm-hmm. and they said you're a heretic. So then she said, "Okay, I'll put on women's clothes." Mm-hmm. Um, and then she went back on that decision and started wearing men's clothes again, and that's what they called a relapse of heresy. Yeah. So then they burnt her. That's fascinating. We don't need to go into too much detail about the, the trial, but so, you know, she said that the the um, these saints and angels had appeared to her and told her to do these sorts of things. So the French thought that that proved that she was a like a sort of saint because, you know, God was speaking to her. But then the, the other side of the argument from the English was that actually, well, they, they, it was probably devils pretending to be saints and angels and all that sort. 
um, who led her astray and made her do all these things that were wrong. So it wasn't God that was speaking to her, it was the devil. Um, obviously, this is impossible to prove one way or the other, um, but it does mean that you've got lots of different opinions. The trial depends on exactly what you want at the end of it. So the English wanted her to be guilty, so they found her guilty. Oof. And then a few years later, um, they had a retrial, once she was already dead and burned and buried. They had a retrial, and on this occasion, it was the French that organised the retrial, and they wanted her to be innocent, and they found her innocent. <laughs> exactly. But she is one, to me, she's just one of the great stories of um, the medieval times. It's this <laughs> teenage girl comes out of nowhere um, and leads armies. And that just never happened. You know, even queens didn't lead armies. You know, th there were really no queens very much who actually reigned the countries. So they weren't, women weren't even trusted to be queens, let alone generals. So for a teenage peasant girl... <laughs> And to do it so successfully, because she won other battles. Do you know any of the other battles? Um, there was that one that she kind of went rogue from the king, mm. and that's when she was captured. Yes. By Lionel the Archer. Lionel the Archer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so a so she was she went. Uh, uh, this was after the king was crowned, the Dauphin was crowned. Yeah. Um, there was a deal that he had made with the Burgundian, the Duke of Burgundy, mm -hmm. uh, which said that he would offer some already freed, jo already cities that Joan of Arc or someone else had freed to the Duke of Bun Burgundy in exchange for... Paris. Paris. Yeah. Um, which upset Joan of Arc because mm. these were free people and there was one town which didn't want to be captured by Burgundy again. So she helped them become free. Mm-hmm. But as she was riding there, they had already shut the gates to stop the English troops coming through, mm -hmm. through. Um, which meant they were catching up with her and a archer mm -hmm. called Lionel pulled her off her horse and dragged her back to the Duke of Burg yeah. Burgundy. Excellent. Well, yeah, you remember that in good detail. That was yeah. Compiègne. Compiègne. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. That was great. <clears throat> Yes, I mean, so she, that was the... the yeah. But she did successfully keep that town liberated. Yeah. And it was, I mean, basically, you know, the, the French king, the, the ex-Dauphin Charles VII, um, he gave up on her, really, because she had served her purpose. Um, France mm. was free. Um, he'd been crowned. Um, As in, he could have paid a ransom yeah. to free her, but he didn't. Yeah. He just let her. Yeah, burn. Burn, which is a bit, bit harsh, really. Yeah. Anyway, so I think that's pretty much the the, uh, the story of Joan of Arc, the, the yeah. important bits and bobs. Um, so French peasant girl goes to the um, Dauphin of France, says, I'm going to make you king, makes him king, um, defeats the English, gets caught by the English, um, 
by Lionel the Archer, Archer. (laughs) and then um, is tried for heresy and is burnt. But then is pardoned a few years later, and then actually in the 1920s she was officially made a saint. Hmm. However, you were saying Mm -hmm. that we remember... Um, the Eng- the English remember the um, battles that they won a lot, mm-hmm. but however, I think widely, Joan of Arc is still seen as a hero and, for the one for want of a better word, the good guy. Air quotes. Mm. Oh, very much. In so. England. Yes, yes, she is. I mean, she's just recognised, and also she's you know mo- all the, the in France, she's a massive heroine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or hero. I think we're supposed to say hero. Um, and she, you know, so she's a hero for the left and the right. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. So should we leave it there? Yeah. Um, and we'll go, I'm going to add on a little bit of promotional stuff because um, I think we want to try and get people listening to our podcast. Goodbye, Otto. Goodbye, Dad. See you next time. Okay. Well, actually, I'll see you in five minutes for lunch. Yeah. So you can follow us in various different ways. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you've presumably found us either on iTunes or on Stitcher or on Acast, or you're just listening to it online. We've got quite a nice website that we've set up uh, called ourhistorypodcast.com. Please visit. We put up lots of pictures and hopefully it's something that will be interesting to visit over time. The idea of the podcast is that it's a history resource for parents and children and teachers um, to encourage discussions about history. So um, please visit the site and you'll find some questions or some points for discussion. Um, we've also started something called Our History Odd Facts, uh, which are a series of, um, as the uh, name suggests, just odd facts about history, um, which we'll be posting on our Facebook page, Our History Podcast, and also we've started a Twitter feed called uh, hashtag Our History Pod, um, where we'll be posting all of these um, Our History Odd Facts. And Otto is setting up an Instagram account, our history podcast, where we'll also be putting our history odd facts. Look out for them there if Instagram is your thing. <laughs> <laughs>